Hello and welcome to Written in Uncertainty, an Elder Scrolls podcast sat firmly in the grey maybe of Tamriel and proud member of the Robots Radio Podcast Network. My name is Aramithius and today we're going to be looking at a religious reform that rescued and redefined a culture which had emerged from a devastating plague and which a reform which brought stability to a race that has been marked by instability in their very nature. Today we're asking... What is the riddle far? Before I get to that, though, I'd just like to say thank you ever so much to my latest patrons. Blartoast and Megan have signed up for the Written Uncertainty Patreon and are getting access to all the notes that I make for each of these episodes, as well as early access to all the content that I'm putting out. So, Blartoast, Megan, I do hope you're enjoying all that, and thank you ever so much for your support. Welcome to the family. Uh, there isn't any network news as such from the Robot Radio Network. Things have been a little on the quiet side for, in terms of events and new shows and that sort of thing. But there is a new Loot Crate link for those of you that aren't aware. Um, every show on the Robots Radio Network, including this one, um, offers a 15% discount on Loot Crate merchandise. If you go to the site with the link that's in this show's description and then enter the promo code robots radio that's robots radio in the promo code and use the link in the description then you can get a 15% discount off of loot crates merchandise and it's a new link this time if you've been trying to use it last time there was something up with the links that we got provided so that's now all sorted out and now on to the riddle far Before we get properly started with that though, I just want to give a disclaimer. This is my own perspective on the real Thar and may not be the whole picture. I will try and present some alternative views, but this is mostly coloured by what I can find in my own reasoning and so on. So I may all get things wrong, you may have other opinions, that sort of thing. And if you do, I'd absolutely love to hear them. Please do drop me an email at writteninuncertaintypodcast at gmail.com find the written uncertainty discord there'll be links for that in the show notes and find me on twitter at aramithius wherever you can find me and just get hold of me just to tell me what you think or ask questions whatever you will i'd absolutely love to hear from you um, i'd also like to kick off with a mild correction from last time i was mildly confused between the riddle thar and the rid thar data the Riddle Thar is the religious reforms and the closest thing you suppose you could say to a Khajiiti faith. And the Riddhari Data is the one who revealed the Riddle Thar, who proclaimed it to be the case. And I ended last week's episode saying, Who is the Riddle Thar? That's very, very wrong, and I'm sorry. But just to kick off, as uh, give a rough explainer of the Riddle Thar in brief. It is the current dominant form of religious practice amongst the Khajiit. It's a system of veneration of the moons and a selection of spirits from Khajiiti mythology. It was instituted, as I said, by the Ridthari Data, who is also known as the First Main and the Sugar God, in the year 311 of the Second Era, 
which brushed aside a much more varied set of beliefs. In doing so, it claims to have brought order from chaos and balance to the Khajiit. That's certainly what it did historically to elsewhere as a province, which we'll get to. But first, I just want to go through a rough outline of what the Riddle Thar is there to do spiritually. To quote from the book Secrets of the Riddle Thar, it says this, quote, For the epiphany of Riddle Thar rests not with the main made mighty, not even in the sacred halls of the Temple of Two Moons Dance. The truth of Riddle Thar lies in the heart of true Khajiit, in the claws, the whiskers, and the soul. Think now on Joan and Jode. Think now on their wax and wane. Khajiit do not deliberate in the womb. We do not struggle for form and purpose. The dance decides. And in that fated moment of birth, we learn what our soul already knows. And then there's some other stuff which isn't quite so relevant, but I'm going to finish with this quote. Embrace that wisdom. Pay heed to the dictates of the soul. Make way for the peace and order real Thar provides, and you shall find joy in abundance. So, real Thar is above and beyond a faith that focuses on harmony and accepting one's place in the cosmic order. It's got quite a Taoist feeling to me, to my very layman's understanding of the faith, or at least something that's in line with Dharmic faiths, and we'll talk a bit more about that later. For now, just think Dharmic faiths are Taoism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. And that's also mirrored to a degree in the newer Khajiit architecture, which feels quite Chinese to me when I look at it. So the way that the way that the secrets of the Riddle Thar talks about the Riddle Thar being within every true Khajiit speaks to the faith's spirit ontology, if I can put it that way. It suggests that the Khajiit are inherently concerned with the moons and that this has an impact on their soul, their form, their being. And it also suggests that in that being they are inherently changeable. The book Trail and Tide, which was originally adapted from a Lawmaster's archive and spoken by a moon bishop, just to give you the in-world context, puts it like this, to quote, Every cat sees the moons, feels the caress of their sweet light as it shines on fur. Every cat feels the tug of the tides, the rhythm of the two moons dance that cannot be ignored. But not every cat hears the words Joan and Jode whisper as they prowl the celestial barrens between gentle Nurni and the dark between the world, protecting her from the howling in the emptiness. And this is why the moon bishop leads the kittens, trailing the string of secrets as he trots ahead, teaching them of the motions and the tides. Now this is written by a moon bishop, so I'm taking it with a little bit of salt here, because of course moon bishops are going to say that they're necessary in order to guide people. They're not going to say, this is pointless, that we're guiding you here, that you know your own way and that sort of thing. But I would like to take one truth from this text, at least, roughly that the Khajiit souls are inherently tied to the waxing and waning of the moons, and so need some kind of balance in order to be stable and not veer from their path, whatever that path might be. And we'll talk about paths a little later. But quite what that balance is and how it's achieved has varied throughout time with the Riddle Thar being the latest solution, if you like, to keep the Khajiit's natures safe and stable. 
it also feels a little moorish in inspiration to me as when you get into the attitude that the riddle fire has towards deities um it considers Lokarj to be a deity that leads true cats astray, becoming bent cats and ultimately Dramathra, and to the bad place behind the moons and some form of Khajiit damnation. There's a very similar disavowal of Mundus in this as well, if, to the way that Moorish faiths think about the world, particularly in a comment that was made in the Trial and Tide Lawmaster's archive that spells it out quite a bit but it was said by an interviewee a question asker I think possibly by the UESP but I think it's a decent summary of the view that the real far has on Locage. quote the den of Locage, like everything related to the lost runt is a thing of the mundus Though a true cat's spirit is bathed in the spirit light of the moons, every cat also knows the drawing of the dark and feels the urge to join the bent dance. A true cat who listens too much to the darks becomes a bent cat whose spirit is carried by Namira down into the dark behind the world, eventually to become Dramathra. So this links the material and the dark. The den of Lokage is a bad place and it's linked to Mundus which is linked to bad things and it again echoes Gnosticism that you'll find in several places in the Elder Scrolls. The material is equated with the sinful and having a thing of Mundus be bad is just part of that perspective. It also links to a portion of the words of Clan Mother Anisi, our first real world chronological creation myth at least, uh, which states that quote the Khajiit will always be hungry and at war with Narni. They're at war with the world, which is very, very Gnostic in its outlook. And it also, to a degree, I think, links up with practices around moon sugar. The first edition pocket guide to the Empire um, outlines the consumption of moon sugar in the following way. Quote, By partaking of the sugar... The Khajiit believes that they are consuming small portions of their gods' eternal souls. This drives them into fits of ecstasy and abandon, and the streets of elsewhere's major cities are full of catmen shivering in the grip of sugar fits. Uh, this seems to be something of a long-standing practice among the Khajiit, from what I can tell. There's no text from a Khajiit that details moon sugar's proper use, although comments from moon bishop Hunal do indicate that it should be used to enter a religious trance and thereby derive some sort of vision. And ecstatic religious practices and visions and vision quests in this world are intended to commune with divine beings, which is what the package from the pocket guide is sort of implying, I think. But I don't think it's the consumption of the moon sugar in itself that is something that's a holy act that is sanctifying. Uh, Khajiits don't consume part of their gods to make themselves more holy, it's to grant them visions. Visions of what precisely isn't entirely clear, but it's something that lifts them away from the material, something that's transcendent and moving to another form of reality, which again links with the Gnostic type idea that the material is bad. And I think this is also linked with the end purposes of the Riddle Thar, if I can put it that way. Uh, as I said earlier, Ridtharidatta is noted as the sugar god in varieties of faith, 
and is linked to the lunar lattice, despite the fact that there was veneration of the moons and the use of moon sugar and the office of the main all apparently predating the emergence of the riddle Thar. So it's all part of that cosmic ordering and reordering of what went before into something that is designed to keep Khajiit stable, keep Khajiit on a path towards holiness, heading towards the sand beyond the stars and Leswear and the Khajiit's ultimate destination rather than their present state, which is bad and wrong and connected to the material world. And so I think now it's time to look at what came before the Riddle Thar. We only have a few glimpses of this, uh, not least because the priesthood of the Riddle Thar have frankly done their best to suppress all knowledge of what came before. We do, however, have some impression of what it was like before, although it is from a very biased source. Thavako, who is a Khajiit, presumably a moon bishop, who is writing against the promulgation of some texts that date from the pre-riddle Thar times. So with that caveat in mind, we have this quote. In the dark times before the first main's revelation, our forebears held scattered beliefs, 16 faiths that tumbled and scratched their way through history, competing for the souls of all Khajiit. Uh, those 16 faiths may well have been tied to the 16 nations and the 16 first stocks that were around before the Thracian plague. The first docks are still around, sorry, but the 16 nations and the tribes and kingdoms, however they're referred to, all collapsed into two, Anaquina and Palatine, because of the Thracian plague. Those faiths also incline me to think that there would be a distinct faith, or at least a dharma, for each first stock, but that's not explicitly stated anywhere. The quote also says that they were competing, though. So if that's true, then there would be something that individual Khajiit would have to decide and discern for themselves, decide which of the 16 faiths to follow. However, remember when I said that the Khajiit need an order to their place in the world in relation to the moons because of how their soul works? I think that the main solution before the Riddle Thar would have had to have been some sort of dharma for each first stock, or maybe for each of the 16 tribes or kingdoms, so that they remain in balance. And it was only when that balance was destroyed by the Thracian plague that another solution or another way of coping with the instability of a Khajiit soul was needed. And so you got the riddle Thar. And I should probably unpack a word that I've been using before I go a little further. I've just been firing it out there and not really explaining it. Um, and I also think it helps to go through some pre and post riddle Thar religious outlooks. Uh, that of Dharma specifically. The, um, the concept of Dharma is loosely speaking both a form of destiny and right conduct in Hinduism, Buddhism and Jainism. I think the versions in Hinduism and Buddhism are the most relevant here. Because Hinduism has two forms of dharma. If I can pronounce this correctly, Hinduism have two forms of dharma. Sadharana dharma and Svadharma. Uh, I'm sorry if I get those wrong. I don't know Hindu pronunciation at all well. Or not even Hindu pronunciation. The pronunciation from the language that these terms derive from. I, 
I plead ignorance on that score. I don't know what um what tongue they're based on. But Sadharana Dharma is a universal Dharma. It's rules of conduct for everyone, things like don't kill, be kind, that sort of stuff. While Svad Dharma is the specific rules for a given person's station and caste. It's what happens if you were an untouchable versus a Brahmin versus the other castes. So you have two sets of expectations and those interact in different ways based on who you are and what caste you're born into. Buddhism, on the other hand, only has the universal form of dharma, which is applicable to all people at all times. And so we have the sort of Hinduistic version of dharma before the riddle thar and the Buddhistic one after, because the riddle thar imposes a single perspective over the many individual paths and faiths that came before. So we've got a shift from something Hindu-esque to something that's Buddhist-esque, if I can put it that way. That's probably massively oversimplifying everything involved, and I'm sorry. But um, this is also an act of simplifying. The riddle far is making a single path clear out of many, as well as responding to geopolitical shifts in Khajiiti culture. I want to highlight a particularly telling line about this from the Epistle on the Spirits of Amandro. Quote, Before Riddlethar, priests and adepts busied themselves deciphering the arcane ramblings of ancient prophets, gleaning precious little from vast and crumbling archives. How like pearl divers they were, prying open countless ugly shells in the vain hope of finding some tiny treasure within. That passage suggests that the primary act of the riddle Thar was to make Khajiit faith plainer and easier to follow for your average Khajiit. Moving things from a faith of scholars and mystics to something that everyone can do, and there's no real soul-searching and wondering where you might need to be. You just all follow this one thing that will sort you out. Again, it's a move towards unifying the Khajiit as a people rather than focusing on spirits as such, but that seems to be a common complaint against the pre-Riddlethar time, where the spirits are given some sort of primacy and venerated rather than the spiritual life of the Khajiit people and everything that entails. That The two are linked because the gods can do things for you and sort you out and affect your soul, but the way that the spirits seem to be have been addressed before that is to do things for the spirit's benefit rather than for the worshipper's benefit, whereas the riddle far is all about making the Khajiit right, making sure that you are humble and cunning and kind and all of the various virtues that the riddle far promulgates. And that's something that's supposed to make a Khajiit a better person rather than making sure that they're in line with some deity somewhere. And I've said all of that, but we don't actually have that much of an outline for how the different pre-Riddlethar faiths perceive the spirits. Uh, they're acknowledged in the Riddlethar, as I've said, but they're not necessarily worshipped too much. Uh, we have signs that once the Riddlethar was adopted, then the priorities of particular spirits' worship shifted, and even some of those that remained approved, like Srendar, um, had temples abandoned and sidelined within the culture, 
as the various religious changes that the Riddle Thar wrought took hold. So pretty much the only source that we have that gives us much detail on any of the pre-Riddle faiths are books written by one Amon Dro. They outline different categories of spirits venerated by the ancient Khajiit, and the main objection that Tharvako's epistle on the spirits of Amandro has to it is that the veneration of the spirits will lead the Khajiit astray, as there are so many spirits and so little guidance on how to interact with them. I think, given some of their other works, that Amandro was a priest of Azura, because all of their other works that are attributed to Amandro concern Azura in some way, shape, or form. So... We know from various other sources as well that moon priests, the precursors to moon bishops, already existed. And so I think we can assume that Amandro held some sort of a similar position to Thavako and Hunal and the other moon bishops that we know, and that the Riddle Far simply repurposed the existing hierarchy into a new faith structure just to accommodate everything. It was just a minimal reshuffling. And it's also something to bear in mind when we're thinking about the stuff that Amandro writes. He is, I say he, we don't know, it might be she. Um, Amandro is writing from a pro-Azura perspective. So that's going to colour what they're writing as well. So with that all in mind, Amandro categorises the different spirits in different ways with somewhat normative categories, which is why I say we need to be careful. It's not just a matter-of-fact description of what the Khajiit worshipped. So the books, the adversarial spirits and the dark spirits in particular highlight that there are some gods that are dangerous or at least not entirely beneficial if you go around worshipping them. Although similar to the Dunma, the adversarial spirits may serve some sort of function. Uh, I think it's also quite noteworthy that four out of the five adversarial spirits are the same as the Dunmurray House of Troubles, and that the unnamed spirit in the book The Dark Spirits can only be tamed by Azura, Boethra, and Mephala, which is the Chimeri Dunmurray good Daedra. So there's obviously some sort of relationship going on there with how they're presenting or interacting with particular Daedra. Amandro's emissions of which gods that are worshipped as well is also something I want to look at briefly because Amandro does not have the full pantheon of 16 Daedric Princes and 8 Divines and potentially other cultural heroes here and there. Amandro misses Srendar and Mara and includes far more Daedra than Anisi does. There's also a bunch of implied differences in their creation story, particularly with Azura's relationship to Lokaj, um, what happened to Nerni, and the role of Yifa in the whole thing. I don't want to go into it now, but it's a really interesting alternative take, and I will have to do a close reading on Amandro's texts at some point, just so we can unpack that and what those differences to creation means for the Khajiiti faith. I think the main difference for now is that the creation myth as presented in the words of clan mother Anisi, Nani is alive, whereas 
Amandro's presentation has Nani as dead and Yiffa as dead as well and Yiffa as the cairn around Nani, which is interesting if you consider that Ifri is the first of the earth bones, the first of the laws of nature. So you've got the laws of nature encasing the world sort of thing. It's a really interesting image that I want to take some time to unpack. But I think for now, if we think about the Anisi account, then Nurni being alive means that there's a much more active, we must hold the line, we must be unified, we must behave much more than there would be for a dead Nurni. There's less freedom of expression possible because you've got an active enemy, so to speak. Although, yeah, that's somewhat um, limiting the role of Anur as well, which, in fairness, Amandro doesn't actually touch on at all, and Anur is probably the main antagonist for the Khajiit. But that's a whole other conversation, and I don't want to get sucked into too much more. Um, the main difference between Amandro and the Riddlethar proper is Lokaj. Now, the Riddlethar calls Lokaj the moon beast and says he's something terrible that corrupts cats, makes them into Dramathra, and so on. Now, Amandro differentiates between Lokaj and the moon beast. Lokaj is called the moon prince, which is an example potentially of how the pre-Rudal Thar Khajiit faith journey could have gone. To quote Amandro's description of Lokaj, Lokaj was the first spirit to make his own path with purpose because he was in conflict with himself as soon as he was born. His courage inspired all those he encountered so much that he united the spirits to make the world. He gave his life to do this. We honour his sacrifice by walking the path with purpose and resisting the call of the dark. Now, this would almost make Lokaj the primary deity of the pre-riddle Tharkajit, I think, because he's the one who showed them a path to walk and showed them something to emulate, gave them a pattern to follow. The riddle Thar, however, just wipes all of that out. It castigates Lokaj as the moon beast and as the tempter of the Khajiit, the one that makes people's tails twitch and makes them into Dramathra. Uh, the pre-riddle theology does acknowledge some darker elements to Lokaj, but still keeps him in, in quite high esteem and treats the moon beast as a separate thing almost from Lokaj. And I think the biggest change, at least on a practical level, uh, for the role of Lokaj is in regards to the main. Uh, I noted before that the Riddharidata was not actually the first main, despite his title. Uh, there were mains before this. And I'm sure I saw something somewhere. I, I can't find any more, but I'm sure I found something um, that indicated that Lokaj was linked to those mains. Uh, now, just to do some digging around from some of the stuff I can find, Joan and Jode were considered Lokaj's funeral lanterns. And if you look at the book Moon Worship Among Catmen, it considers the main to be, quote, the absolute rulers of the lunar lattice. If that's the case, then the ultimate purpose of the lattice could, or, well, part of the purpose of the lattice, I'm sorry, because a large chunk of it is protecting Nurni and the Khajiit and everyone else from the Wrath of Anur, 
But anyway, part of the purpose of the lattice could just be memorialising or celebrating Lockhage. But that's purely my speculation based on some loose connections and a possibly faulty memory. So please do take that with a pinch of salt. That tradition of ruling the lattice is something that was made explicit after the revelation of Ridtharidatta, and so I suppose it's time we probably got into the changes that happened as a result of the main and the imposition of the Riddle Thar. Uh, as we've already said, uh, Ridtharidatta came to power in the early years of Elsewhere's formation. The old order of 16 kingdoms had been destroyed by the Thrustian Plague, and then Anaquina and Palatine emerged from their ashes, so to speak. Just the tribes coalesced into to, into two nations just to try and keep going as a people, I think. Rather than a free-flowing confederation of tribes that had existed before, you look at the book Anaquina and Palatine, an introduction, and it notes that the clans then started to settle in different regions and develop distinct cultural practices. And those differences started to create friction. Whereas before you had 16 tribes moving around and interacting and interweaving and understanding where they needed to be and, and so on, then there's no balance and in interaction between the two states anymore, despite the creation of elsewhere in the year 309 of the Second Era, which wiped away all of the old empire and everything else uh, to try and merge everything together. But that lack of balance meant that these new static entities, the Anaquina and Palatine, and then elsewhere, meant that the accommodation of all the different types of Khajiit and their interrelations just wasn't happening. And so it all started to break down. You have wars between Anaquina and Palatine and all sorts of strife, even after Elsewhere's formation. But Ridtharidatta was a main at the time of one of these conflicts. Um, although, from what we can tell, the role of the main itself was purely ceremonial or religious. As It's, an, it's apolitical anyway, so that's possibly... Um, a bit of a simplification uh, if something is purely ceremonial but there wasn't any note of the mains interfering with the governance of the two kingdoms or the unifi unified kingdom however unified it was uh, the first edition pocket guide to the empire claims that the main quote bestowed to the classes equality under the bilunar shadow dividing their power in accordance with the two moons dance of the Jack J. So what the main has done has created a power sharing arrangement between the two kingdoms, as presumably happened when there were 16 kingdoms. And so you had, I, I'm sure that, that there should be more than 16 moon phases when you've got two moons turning at different rates. But if we just assume there were 16 moon phases, then there was possibly something similar going on naturally, organically. But what had to happen here is that it just had to be imposed, said, right, now we just got, we've got two different tribes, we're still bound to the moons, so we're going to have two sets of phases because there are two moons. And that was imposed in a revelation at the Rorka Temple in the year 
311 of the Second Era. There was also some reshuffling of religious priorities, as I said, between the different spirits, whereas some got devalued even though they were still accepted, like the surrender example I talked about. A part of me does wonder if that was a political manoeuvre by Ridthari Data to ensure that the hierarchy of priests that taught the riddle far was as he intended it to be without any alternative voices or versions of salvation for the Kashit, if I can put it that way. Uh, the first edition pocket guide does describe the elsewhere confederacy in the second era as a, quote, thinly veiled dictatorship of the main, with other sources also noting that the Ridthari data founded a dynasty, mostly from the phrase pre-Ridata dynasty, Anaquine deity, which is in the book Varieties of Faith and is used to describe Lokhaj. I don't think that the Ridthari data founded a dynasty because, from what we can tell, the selection process for the main looks like it's based on merit and a trial rather than dynastic succession. And the main hasn't been directly involved with the civilian leadership, I can put it that way, of elsewhere. While the main will have had some influence on that, and if you take the pocket guide's perspective, then it's possible that they had an awful lot. But there's no sense of making sure that heirs are there to maintain the throne. You do have pre- and post-Riddlethar because the societies are so different, but I don't think that the Ridtharidata ever had a dynasty as such. And with that, though, the main did cement itself as part of a large part of Khajiit way of life, and the real Thar in particular as the way of conducting Khajiiti righteous life and so on, and was certainly in place in Tamriel to stay for many centuries afterwards, you can very, very easily describe Khajiit history as pre- and post-Riddle Thar. So that might be what's being done here in Varieties of Faith, but the word dynasty is badly chosen, in my opinion. And that's it for a description of the Riddle Thar for this time round. Next time, we are going to have a look at something that's of huge importance to the Khajiit, as well as having some influence in some of the other fades. I, I've, I'm not sure quite how to, to write this, but I think I'll be focusing mainly on the Khajiit perspective and bringing in others where I can. Next time, um, we will be asking, what are the moons? And until then, this podcast remains a letter written in uncertainty. You've been listening to Written in Uncertainty, a podcast written and hosted by Aramithius. The music for this podcast has been kindly provided by Jan Glembotsky. Check them out on SoundCloud under Songs from the Lost Land, and I'll see you next time. Myth is a podcast about the very soul of humanity. Join me each week as I explore stories from our history from our mythologies, about what it means to be human. I'm your host, Tom, and Myth is available on every podcatcher anywhere. 
And if you're familiar with any of my other work, then you might realize that myth is like a lore cast, but for humans. Join me each week on Myth. Rated M for Mature. Because we don't believe in scripted advertisements, we're going to do this raw. I'm regretting this decision. No, you're not. This is the DL Weekly Gaming News. There's nothing to regret here because it's your source for everything in the gaming world. Every week, we bring it to you unscripted, unfiltered. That's why it's rated M for Mature, right, Brenna? Among many, many other reasons. I am one of your hosts, Jameson. And as he already said, I am Brenna, the other glorious part to this quality podcast. You can find us every week wherever you listen to your podcasts at DL Gaming News. And you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter if you want some gaming news in your social media feed every day at DL Gaming News. And uh, you can find us individually if you really, really, truly want to see our faces. I am at DL underscore Mother Goose. And I'm at DL Jameson. And this was an advertisement. Go fuck yourselves. Hello. Hi. Do you like bad movies? Do you find yourself defending bad movies, saying things like, well, the soundtrack was okay, or the costumes were pretty fun? From the previous hosts of It's Not That Bad Podcast, we bring you Fresh Tomatoes, the movie podcast from Simone LaRue and Chad Ekovitz. Every week, we review two movies that did not do well critically, but we say, hey, there are some nice things about them. Maybe Rotten Tomatoes was wrong. Maybe they're all fools, and you should watch these movies regardless. We'll also talk about scenes that could have saved it, and we'll often refer to Simone's cats because they're amazing and adorable, and we love them. <laughs> and at the end of each review, we will tell you whether we would watch this movie again, or in what circumstances we would recommend you watch this movie. So, join us on July 9th for the first drop of our main episode, and then two days later for our drop of our minisodes. And on Robots Radio Podcast Network. Come see us on July 9th! We love you so much already! Bye! Bye.